soccer jersey yeah i'm wearing the um national holland team soccer jersey represent represent orange motherfuckers <laughs> you know i'm not a soccer guy that, that i'm not really like full-on like i i watch like highlights and stuff and i know some of the teams but when it comes to Big world fan. cup I, I always i always support holland it's always the team that I go for, and they're always quite consistent. It's sort of like always like a, you know, semifinals or finals or whatever, or quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. I forget. So I always rep the orange. Um, it's the same for my brother and sister as well. So, <laughs> you have a sister? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, maybe it's because you don't. Maybe you don't like see like me in pictures of her or something. But I have um. You know that I have an older brother, so my older brother yeah. is five years older than me, and then my sister is nine years older than me, nine um, or ten. Yeah, but she's not. She's not here. She's in the East Malaysia. So it's been a while since we've uh, hung out. Whatever. Although, <laughs> although uh, she video called my mom like two days ago, mm. and she was trying to show like. She, my mom was trying to show the dogs to her because they haven't seen, she hasn't seen them in so long, right? Yeah. But then I kept blocking the camera of her phone with my feet. So, <laughs> so I was just like, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're pretty chill with each other. So, so it's fine. It's funny. Um, You're like a child compared to her. Yeah, I am. She, oh, yeah, that's all, all fun fact. Um, my sister was the one who gave me my first name. So, oh. yeah. Uh, turn this off. Um, what was it? Uh, so, in Malaysia, we have, uh, we had idols. So, like, a bit like K-pop idols, except it's, like, local idols uh, in Malaysia. Mm. And there was one, there's this really old Malaysian idol group i guess or boy band and um, it's probably the better uh, appropriate term here uh called kru but i don't remember what it stands for maybe it's just the name of the, the the people or whatever um and she was a big fan of that and one of the members in that group was called norman so mm-hmm. when i was born um like my, my parents had this rule of um making sure our names follow the orders of the letters of the alphabet so um mm. My sister's name is Laura, and then my brother's name is Martin, so L-M, and then N, and then it just so happens one of the members in that group was Norman, so she named me Norman. So that's how I got my name. I always think it's funny because, at least in movies I've seen, Norman is always like a really like geeky yeah, I know. Like character, and so I think of you every time, and I'm like... <laughs> It sucks. It sucks having a stereotype that's just this, like, like it sucks having like a bullyable name. Is that even a word? Like, like you just want to pick yeah. on this stereotype. Like, I don't know if it's a stereotype that that just exemplifies weakness or nerdiness or whatever. But yeah, I grew up with that kind of thinking. Um, although I had to prove them wrong. So, yeah, well, yeah, I remember. 
when I was younger, uh, one of Hugh Hefner's girlfriends, her name was Holly. Mm. And so I would get that sometimes. Like, are you going to be a playmate sort of thing? But normally with my name, it just came around like Christmas stuff. So I never got picked on. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's, that's definitely a lot safer. Uh, You definitely were not. I can't think of a, I can't think of a, like a a character in a movie named Holly. And then there's just bad shit happening. I cannot think of one. I also just realized, I don't think I even know a character named Holly in a movie. Hmm. That's probably something that we should talk about. Another time. Should we talk about it? <laughs> names? No, no. I, I mean, no, not not specifically names. I mean, we could. That's one. But then, like, movies, like Japanese movies. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't think that to to think get about into that. my like, my heart throbs. Yeah. Uh, or, I just watched not too long ago. During like lockdown, I was what was called coffee and vanilla, I think. And I was like, woo, just swooning the whole time. Wait, who's in that? I, I don't know what that's about. It's about, I think it was based off of like a manga. And um, there's this one actor I like, and I don't know if I'm thinking of his like name correctly, so I'm not going to say it, but he's just like beautiful. And so that's part of it but basically him in this like it's like a romance thing and because it's like based off of a fucking manga it just has those like little moments that are like common and things like k-dramas and j-dramas and stuff where it's just like these little interactions that like aren't necessarily sexual but like they're sexual and then you're just like feeling the tension like ah I think there's this one part, this is probably sexual, but there's this one part where he's like having her like try on this dress or whatever. It's like one of your classic stories. He's like some rich, like fucking CEO, like guy. And she's like a student or something. And so he's having her like try on this dress. And then I think it like ties like in the back, neither ties or was a zipper. And then he just like with his teeth, like undoes it. And I was like, beautiful (laughs) that's definitely a lot more suggestive than i was like imagining that kind of show to be (laughs) i'm trying to think oh you just reminded me of a of a memory that i forgot about uh since ages ago although i think i did bring it up in the show earlier um i haven't even done the intro yet but i just want to i just want to bring up this memory first before before we get to that uh (laughs) um I'll try my best not to fuck it up too. So I think uh, during, um, so we had my spring semester and then the fall semester. So the your first semester, so mm. your the 2015 fall semester, um, I stayed on um, throughout the holidays. I was traveling, etc., and it came back, and it was like weeks before the term started, and Sid was there already. Because I mm. think he just finished teaching English in another prefecture or something like that. I don't know. I like. I wish we could get. Like, I want to have Sid as a guest on the show. <sighs> yes, it'll be just fucking the hilarious. three of us. I I want to like. I I'm gonna reach out to him like after this to see if mm-hmm, we can set up mm-hmm. a time. Um, 
we'll, we'll figure out the timing when it happens. But yeah, I mean, and hopefully we can sit and clarify this. So it was me and Sid, and then there were some of the Japanese students there. Tomo was there, and at the time there was a there was a really popular J drama, and I cannot remember the name, but there was an an aspiring like aspiring actor or like up and coming rookie actor that was like really really beautiful, whatever, um, handsome guys, and it was a it was a sankaku, like a sankaku, uh, sankaku kanke. So it's like a triangular, triangle relationship. There's like one girl, and then these two guys like this girl, and then she's like the drama is like oh her being oh is it gonna be to the first guy is it gonna be to the second guy, and yeah. and it's it's not like groundbreaking in any way, but I just remember the memories of me and Sid actually just like trying to catch the latest episode at the TV and like <laughs> wanting to know what happens next because we. I think like we we finished dinner at the at the like the dining hall mm. one time like at the dorm, uh, and the TV just happened to be on and it was showing that episode. So mm. I guess we were just bored, so we we're just watching this episode, and we we're like, "What the fuck is happening?" Like, there's like there's like this girl, and she's like being all confused, and then the guys being like all creepy, and all I remember <laughs> was that they're in a, I think like the the second guy. The second guy is a doctor in a hospital or something like that, and then and then she was brought into the room, a room where there was nothing there except for, except for a projector showing fireworks, like a video of fireworks, and then he like hugs her from behind or something and confesses, like saying, "Oh, I like you so much," or whatever, and that's like the most, uh, that's like the most, I guess, climactic part of the show or the episode or something mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he finally shows, and and. The girls in the dorm hall were like, eh, oh, whatever, <laughs> you know, like, you know, very typical yeah, responses, yeah. right? And then Tomo was just like, oh, oh, oh. And, you know, you know Tomo, like, he's, he's very, like, you know, he, he's quite, he's just quite observant. indifferent. Yeah, he's just yeah. like, hmm, yeah. But then me and Sid, we're, <laughs> we're just, like, over-exaggerated everything. Like, oh, my God, they're going to fuck. <laughs> they're going to yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And and it was like, and then I was asking Tomo like, what's 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 Japanese for baby making room? Like he's just like, what the oh. fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that was a funny memory. Oh. If I I want to try and find the name of that show, I think I can find it. I'm trying to find the name of that show, uh, and, and we'll link it into the show notes. So with that being said, welcome to Kapai Chronicles. <laughs> um, all all about the. I guess the good, the bad, and the yabai, as as our just just our conversation just now has just set a great example, uh, with your host Norman and Holly. So yeah, um, <laughs> contrary to popular belief, this episode is not about <laughs> it's not about dramas and shit uh, that we we've watched. Although, like, I actually would love to dedicate like a time to to talk about that. Yeah, like, I'll just get either- all in my feelings. Yeah, either dramas and movies in one go, or or can do like a part one or part two. We can figure that out. Mm. Don't worry about that. Mm, um, mm, mm. But, um, but that dumb ass story that I just shared is something that I hold dear to me, a memory that I hold very very dear to me because it's just one of the things that no matter you know no matter how old or how far away it's been, uh, how long has it been since uh, we've left Japan. 
whenever I think back to that time, it just makes me really happy. Like I feel really glad mm. uh, that it happened, even though it's just stupid. Like you don't learn anything from it. Like me and Sid were just being dumb, and Tomo was just there because he's just like, eh, so like so. It's not like, <laughs> we're not growing as humans, but it was a funny memory. Um, yeah, so I I thought that you know it would be pretty cool to just have this episode talk about happiness, like happy mm. feels, um, things that mm. make us full of joy things that makes us laugh or things that makes us really happy um even in a deeper context but you know also all sorts of things so yeah mm. i was just gonna say your story <laughs> like bless our friends nurse especially like our our japanese friends that like put up with us that year because you reminded me like masa as far as like because you know like in in japanese society like typically like publicly you know girls um aren't quite so like straightforward they don't they don't really like talk about like the kind of shit that like i'll talk about just in like front of everyone and so i remember like becoming friends with masa specifically because he would just be talking about like fucking obscene shit like at mckim just like in front of everyone and i was like all right he's someone like i can talk with then at first he was like i think like put off and surprised like holly girls don't talk like that like don't talk like that like tone it down but then he got used to me and so even after i came to america i would be like texting masa like hey how do you say bush like in japanese like is there like a mean way to say bush or like <laughs> random shit like that, like just like obscure fucking shit. And always we would have like, you'd like give me the word and then we'd have like some discussion about it or whatever. Bless the patience of these people dealing with <laughs> our fucking shit. I mean, sorry if you hear clinking, I need to stir my coffee. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. Speaking of a drink. Um. Yes, uh, I have a, a Sapporo, Sapporo. Um, which is also a drink that makes me happy. So it is actually very relevant <laughs> to this episode. Therefore, uh, I will, I will take a sip. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Bless um, bless the Japanese students for <laughs> bearing with our ignorance or like bearing mm. with our upfront demeanor. Um, I think it's like just definitely uncommon for someone to just ask another person, even just in general, what's the word for Bush in your language or something like that. Um, <laughs> but the fact that we just have absolutely no, is it shame? Is the word shame or like just absolutely <laughs> don't care. Um, and we're going to ask anyway, especially in the public space, like McKim. Um, mm. So for, for those, for those who don't know, McKim Hall and Rikyo, the Ikebukuro, Ikebukuro campus is where, all the international students just tend to hang out on the second floor. It's a lounge with a number of tables, a number of public PCs that you can just use. And there's like tables to study at whatever. Um, if you're talking at normal conversational volume, you could say like half of the room can hear you, I think. Yeah. But then, but then we're talking about Gaijin conversational volume. Like, Oh speaking, yeah. <laughs> that's also something to consider. Uh, Cause I noticed that, our tables tend to be pretty loud, um, yeah. rowdy. So, yeah, I'm trying to imagine that when you're talking about bushes. <laughs> yeah, and I feel the Kim Kim was such a nice like little space. 
And I feel typically like the other students that would hang out there were like interested in that sort of, do I want to say environment? Yeah. Because now that I'm thinking about it, there was like the two or three tables that were like in that one space where everyone would like usually sit and they would be like very energetic conversations and stuff like that. Then you had like the, I'll call it a bar, but like that elevated like area by the bathrooms. People would usually go there if it's like you had some shit, like you had to work on, like you're trying to focus, but you can kind of like butt into conversation every once in a while. But then you would have some students, I think, that would come there, like not knowing, like, oh, this is where the gaijin hang out. And so you'd get those people that come in and that are like across the room, like staring, like, what the, the fuck? wide people tables, <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell is happening? But even because I think most of the. The um, like residential students that hung out or typically students themselves who had like gone abroad and had like a more like a global perspective yeah so it was a lot more like welcoming of like that chaotic energy than say if you were like sitting somewhere else on campus yeah and we even brought it back to the dorm as well so we'd just be like hijacking tables on the ground floor of the dorm and then just like drinking obviously in the lobby and then just like being all loud and stuff. Um, uh, yeah. You know, and we have like Japanese students passing by and they're like, eh. you know, they, they look and they're like, Oh, this is interesting. And then they pass by. Uh, so I feel like yeah. um, we are really good at bringing the ruckus uh, everywhere that we go. And for some reason that, <laughs> that definition of happiness has been just protected <laughs> because it's yeah. just, we've just been consistently doing that for like every single semester. <laughs> Very true. For oh, for the sake of the oh, damn. There's no pop. Okay, never mind. Don't worry. It had a little bit of a a little bit of a. Yeah, some gas, but it's okay. Right. Um, before we like talk about the wonders of happiness, um, I feel like we want to address the demons in the room. I'm not sure. Uh. (laughs) If you have one in mind, or if you found one, or if you've randomized for one, but uh, do we have? Uh, we do. <laughs> is there yes. a yokai to judge uh, for this week that uh, I would like to? We would like to witness and ask if they're yes, yes. doing okay. I was um, randomizing because I was just trying to find one that was like super like happy. Hmm. Um, so yeah, we we decided to do like this theme just on like laughable happy shit or like good news or things like that just because you know you you guys know the atmosphere of the past couple years and I, i feel like sometimes we just need like a break from it to like not really talk about serious shit um so i was trying to find like a yokai that kind of like fit that and so i was randomizing like hoping something would come up but i kept getting this one like this popped up like five times and I was like, okay, um, maybe this, this bad boy wants to be discussed. So this yokai isn't he, he or she, I'm going to say he, because they describe it as a little boy. Um, 
it's it's called the Chochin Gozo, um, which translates to Lantern Priest Boy. So he's not like particularly a um scary yokai or anything. It's just more of his like origin story could be a little a little sad. Um, but they are typically found in the dark, rainy streets. Um, it says they look like young boys about 12 to 13, except for they have these really bright red faces. Um, and they tend to appear in areas where violent, senseless murders took place. Um so in uh, in our good old yokai.com description, it says that its origin um, was in a particular area in Sendai. Um, and these yokai were kind of first popping up and having sightings after um, a man like brutally murdered his wife and he dumped her body in, in the vicinity of these like alleys and stuff. Um, so a lot of people think that these yokai are, are kind of like, uh, connected to like ghost of murdered women. Um, but they don't do anything to hurt people. Um, says the worst is usually, usually the like startle people. And so this is the interaction, which (laughs) I, I could definitely understand why people will get spooked. So it says that they appear on rainy nights and they carry a paper lantern and they follow people that are walking through the street. And gradually they'll start to increase their speed until they like catch up to you or like pass you. And then it says they'll turn around and just stare at you with like an eerie expression and they won't do anything else. They'll just be staring at you. And then when you like catch up and pass them, they'll speed up again and then like to keep doing the same thing and they'll just keep doing this like over and over again until eventually they disappear <laughs> what the that's fuck? all he does <laughs> so he's just, just like a little annoying kid pulling a prank. <laughs> yeah it's kind of like wait, when you're like wait. on a train you know like in japan when you're on the train and there's just like a little kid who maybe has never seen a foreigner or something and they're just kind of like staring at you yeah and you're staring at them kind of like oh, what do i do and then it's just awkward and then you speed up and then they like run past you just to look at you again then you speed up and they run past you. <laughs> this is just more like well, it's not scary at all, I gotta say. This is more no, like it's just playful. Yeah, it's just playful. It's just like just a child ghost. It's just like, mm. oh, just doing child behaviors. I, I like mm. how they're called benign yokai. Um mm. like very rarely do we find a harmless yokai at all. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm looking at the I'm looking at the picture now, like I'm on the article. Uh, I gotta say, yeah. uh, it's it's quite the uh, it's quite the picture. I have to say, like I wish <laughs> I could face. post it on on the YouTube, yeah, uh, on the on the YouTube version. Maybe I could like just slap the picture on there. But mm. um, it's a large, round, red head, and a little boy, and they're carrying a lantern. And imagine this chasing after you at night when it's raining. Mm. I'd be spooked. Yeah, I'd be spooked. Because you're used to like a lantern being hung from a roof, right? So all of a sudden mm-hmm. you see this like 
this like red, like I'm assuming they're running from far away and then they come to you and then they stare at you, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine like like the lantern, but it's at eye level and it's chasing after oh you. Oh my God, yeah. That's scary. You're having me. these shadows and like. Yeah, and you can't tell because. And it's like a it's like a small figure, right? So this small figure right. is you can't tell until you're close enough and you're like, oh, it's just a kid ghost. So I, I'd still I, that scares me a little bit still. But at least yeah. the only thing they do is that they just show you how they're just staring at you. Um but I think what scares me even more is that after you've read about the origins, mm-hmm. the fact that it 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 comes up whilst there happened to be a murder of a man and a, like a, a man murdering a woman and then this yokai pops up so it's mm. like a it's like a bystander ghost it's like if mm. i see this ghost that means a murder just happened somewhere nearby and oh, then yeah and then and then this ghost is like it's staring at me and it's like telling me hey where i spawned you're quite close so like it's staring at me like oh my god right so so it's not like the ghost that's scaring me it's like the possibility of what happens after the ghost it's scaring me so yeah that's you know and that uh, would be it's like, like in- interesting too like because the way I interpreted it is like mm-hmm. they're just there like a murder happened so the the spirit is now just like living in this area. Never thought about like the the time of that, like the time frame of that. Like, would it just pop up like for the first time, maybe like right after the murder took place? If right. you have like the possibility of stumbling upon the crime scene, and also there's the purpose of this Chouchin uh, Kozo as well. It's also pretty funny. It's called Kozo. Like it just sounds so disrespectful mm. to the ghost. It's not like <laughs> kodomo or anything. It's just this kozo. Yeah, right? This like this brat. Uh, anyway, yeah. Um, in the interaction section, it says, uh, you know, after explaining the bit where they just stare at your face after they chase after you, it says this behavior repeats for some time until eventually they disappear. So their existence or time on Earth is that after they've stared at you multiple times after some time, they're just like boop. They're just gone. Um, I for some reason there is no like it's like an abrupt ending like that, that's mm. how I'm imagining it to be so I'm assuming that their time on earth is quite limited that's why I was thinking that maybe they will spawn almost immediately after a murder it will be like oh um, when a man murders their wife the the scene is painted red with the blood of the person mm. and this mm. is I think maybe a parallel with like my own tribal thing because like we have this mm. thing where we like we have this thing where like my ancestors were headhunters, right? So we we preserve skulls and we we hung those skulls in front of our doors, and mm-hmm. it's to protect us from ghosts. But long mm-hmm. story short, the reason why they used to do that not not we I nearly said we as if we still mm-hmm. do it, but like the long, <laughs> guys, seriously, I'm not trying to like <laughs> condemn myself here, but like ancestors, right? Headhunting. The reason why they do that is because they they hung the skulls. They hang the skulls in front of their doors because when you kill a man, um, their blood is on your hands. So mm-hmm. the spirit of the person that you kill can smell or be attracted to their own scent from your from mm-hmm. the blood that's on your hands. So mm-hmm. um, to prevent your family from being haunted, you hang their skull up in front of your door so that 
they will see their own face in death, be scared, and then run away. Mm-hmm. So, like in in the tribe, like in I guess lore is the right word. In the lore within my within my tribe, anything to do with murder involves attraction of spirits and ghosts in relation to blood. And mm-hmm. since this is a red colored lantern boy, I'm assuming that it's almost immediate that this boy be like, oh shit, someone died. Oh my God, I got to tell someone. But then they can't speak. So they're like staring at you like, like they're trying to like point the lantern at you. Like, just a f- fucking look over <laughs> It could be something like that. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, what do you think about this? Like how we, uh, how would you judge this boy? Like on the, on the tier list? Or just in general? Um, both, but maybe more in general, and then we'll figure it out how to tier it. Um, I thought it was interesting that you, like your interpretation of it like disappearing because I thought mm-hmm. of it differently. Like for you, it's like its existence is gone. For me, I thought more so because it says it's like in a specific area. Like maybe it's only bound to that area. So once like oh. you've walked so far, it can't like leave. Like it has its own like territory. So it just simply can't like keep going with you. This sort of thing. Oh. Because oh, um, that's a good point. I think at least in like Yokai that I've like read about, I haven't read anything about them having like a a certain time that they're allowed to like exist. So that would be that would be interesting if some of them do have like a expiration date, so to speak, <laughs> or like in um in the West. I I don't I don't want to say it like originated here because I don't know. But we have um the like we have shows and stuff that are kind of like ghosts and spirits and things like they're around because they have um like unresolved like conflicts so like after you resolve whatever your issue is you can like pass on so i wonder if there are like yokai that maybe have like us a, a, a situation like that um currently for one of my courses i'm doing a project um of putting together like a workshop that it's about like um cultural competency comp 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 competency hmm. words um and so i'm doing mine on um like abortion miscarriages for like uh japanese women and spirituality and religion and stuff um and so in like my research and things i found stories um you have your like mizuko which are um kind of like spirits um of like aborted or stillborn or miscarried babies um and then so yeah actually i'm i'm like rambling my my thoughts are getting all but um <laughs> i wonder because there's a lot of things that people will do to like ease the spirits and and things like that. So I wonder if there are yokai where if you like appease them, they can like move on or whatever. 
like for this little yokai boy like let's say he they do spawn because someone was like murdered it's like if you solve that case and the whoever committed the murder like Mm. you know gets justice served like could this little boy like move on or is he just like forever there you actually bring up a good point i actually never thought about that when when i read like the sentence says until eventually it disappears I assume permanently. So Mm. now that you brought up the point of like, oh, it's location-based, it may be Mm. right. Like if you run away far away enough, the boy will disappear anyway because it's the assumption here is that it's tethered to the murder scene. Um, Mm. But then can you resolve it? Can you you help it pass on? I don't know. I mean, we have like Shinto priests and they're like, you know, blessing places, right? So we assume that there are methods to like help this boy get to what yokai heaven? I don't know. Is there is there a word for it? <laughs> um, <laughs> is there a yokai heaven? I, I need to search it. But like, can can they can they pass on permanently? Uh, is one thing. I I guess I, I might be wrong here. I, like, not that you brought it up, because yeah, just because a yokai disappears at one point in time doesn't mean they're just gone forever, mm-hmm. because the scene is still there. So mm-hmm. the blood is still there. Um, mm-hmm. the the murder happened, so it's still like mm-hmm. it's still um imprinted in that location. So like that might be enough justification for the yokai to be like, "Hey, Lamau, I'm here." So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think uh, I think you got me there. That actually brought my assumed tier for this higher now. Huh. Yeah, what would you put him at? I was thinking. So initially, I was thinking uh, E because mm. of because of the like I think what I mentioned before the the assumption that this this scene is a place for murder, so there's a chance you might encounter that uh, for yourself. Mm. It's like a it's like an ominous sign, right? The the ominous mm. aspect of it brought it up from F to E because if it didn't have that sign at all, I would just say this is an F. It's just a kid like just running around with a lantern, yeah, so yeah. it's okay. But then, but then, because it doesn't disappear, it's tethered, and it's always there. It's like looming. If you're always passing mm-hmm. by this point in time, it would. I would still. I, maybe I would bring it up to D, because mm. I, I don't think it would be C because it's not hurting me. Um, yeah, I think it's D because of the implications, but I don't mm. know about anything less or more so yeah I, I don't know what you think there yeah i could say like a like a low d or even an e um just because i don't know i feel like your average person probably wouldn't necessarily know like what the yokai like like why it's there they probably wouldn't be like oh fuck like a murder happened and you'd yeah. just be like what what the hell is this like red-faced child doing but and plus because it's a kid i feel like it does like it's still uncomfortable but it's not as like ominous as like if a grown man was like doing this like if a grown man was like hurriedly walking behind me i would be like oh fuck like i'm about to die but if it was a child in the middle of the night i would be like a little concerned but i don't think 
I would feel particularly like, oh no, I'm about to like die or something. Yeah. If you put it that way, I, maybe I would be comfortable with an E because Mm -hmm. in the end, like what you get out of it in the end is to be particularly concerned that Mm -hmm. that's it. Right. Like, like how you would react to it would be like, okay, I'm aware. I see this child. It's not going to hurt. You're you're like uncomfortable. Yeah. You're like uncomfortable. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I'd say, yeah, I'd say, I'd say E. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, okay, jot that down. Okay. E-boy or lantern E-boy. priest boy. <laughs> Can you imagine an E-boy An ghost? E-boy yokai. <laughs> oh my God. What would, what would spawn an E-boy yokai? Like maybe another like emo boy gets his like heart broken by like his high school crush. I was going to say then, someone's, like, someone's MySpace account gets deleted or something. And then that's the scene. Like the scene happens. And then you just okay, hear no. like a ooh-woo in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly it's like a, a fucking yokai with this heavy black eyeliner wearing chain accessories. Oh, you know what? <laughs> you, like for some reason when I said that, I picture fucking uh, Ryuk. From uh, Death Note, oh, yeah, Death <laughs> like Note, yeah, Ryuk is is the e boy spirit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, if it's like it's that's like gonna be my next my next my next tweet. That's what I'll put on Compi Chronicles. I'll be like, why does every e boy <laughs> look like this? Picture of Ryuk. Expectation is Ryuk. Reality is just like <laughs> yeah, the, the, the stereotypical like <laughs> e boy look. <laughs> Can you just imagine, like, you know how there's, like, signs that there might be a yokai nearby you? It would be like, oh, like, scratching or, like, oh, um, if it's some, you know, if it's, like, a woman and then they're, like, crying or something, right? Like, you hear, like, a wailing mm-hmm. in the background. Mm-hmm. This one is just, like, you just hear My Chemical Romance playing in the background, like, when I was. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be yes. so funny. <laughs> you're just walking down a dark alley and you're, like, fuck. <laughs> Just start singing along. I would like, oh, who is playing? And then yeah, but then if if you react by singing along, I think that's like grounds for them killing you, right? It's just like no. oh, <laughs> right? It's it's like uh, it's like uh, what was it? The kuchisake onna. It's like if you respond, oh my God. you're dead, right? It's like oh, I know this song, and then boom, <laughs> just... that would be horrible because you know there's like throughout the years, it's always like adapted or whatever but there's always been those like try not to sing or try not to react and it'll be like popular songs of like whatever that would be horrible if like if you react the the consequence is death <laughs> like that would be an s tier for me because i would be like yeah like i have such a hard time because it's such oh a god. jam oh my god oh, my chemical like romance boys- yokai fuck <laughs> Holy shit. I feel like e-boys e-boys are supposed to be like soft though you know like would would they want to murder yeah but these yokai are designed to attract you and then they catch you off guard that's what the kuchisake onna was it's supposed to be a beautiful woman and they have a mask right and then they're like am i pretty and they catch you off guard and then they take off their mask and then you're dead that, that's how it works like 
like a lot of people are attracted to e-boys, so that's that's a large audience for killing. I, I think I'm condemning I myself too, by saying. <laughs> I guess too. Like this is this is very generalized, um, mm. but you know, typically if you're a My Chemical Romance fan, you're probably a little depressed. <laughs> so maybe. <laughs> Maybe to the e-boy yokai, he's like, ah, like they would rather be dead. Like they're if they know this song, they must be like very sad. So maybe to them, they think they're like doing you a favor. If you're singing along, they're like, oh, I will like spare them the the curse of living. And then they just come in and take care of business as my chemical romance plays in the background. <laughs> If you're about to get murdered, the song switches to like Helena and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> no, mid murder is I'm not okay. You just hear no. like the riff in the beginning. <laughs> and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh no, not this song. <laughs> I wish I was oh. good at animation and stuff. I would like make like an animated <laughs> scene of like the e-boy yokai like chasing someone down to this song. Can can we get like can we commission like an artist who can animate to like to, to, to actually, just do like a 10 second like animation like or about the, I was thinking about killed. that stuff last night. <laughs> like how fun would it be to like have people like animate certain things or create certain things? based off the fucking random shit that we talk about here. There is an endless supply of bullshit that we've said on this show. Oh yeah, and absolutely. There's like there's like a hundred things they could have like done. And this is like definitely <laughs> one of them. Like I would love an animation of someone like if anyone if you're listening to this, if you know an animator, please let us know. Like I'm gonna be very <laughs> serious. Like like maybe we could like we will commission, right? Like pro- properly commission and like you figure it out like uh how to how to work things but i would love to see like an animation of like a my chemical romance like yokai probably the yokai <laughs> would just be called helena i don't know right but like, oh yeah yeah <laughs> you're expecting like a beautiful girl and it's just this beautiful e-boy <laughs> The the oh. goth guys or the like boys looking for like a goth girlfriend like they think like oh I'm gonna summon Helena and it's just an e boy coming to like kill them. <laughs> oh oh my god! <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be thinking about this for a while. Shit. <laughs> I'm probably gonna listen to them after this after this recording. I know. I was just sure. thinking. I'm like, is, is today a My Chemical Romance Day? Yeah, it's been a while because you have to mm-hmm. hit that high G in Welcome to the Black Parade. So the high <sighs> yeah. G, high D, I forgot. High G. It should be high G. Mm. Might as well. Um, riding on that energy. My Chemical Romance honestly makes me very, very happy because it brings me back to a time when I'm just like so clueless about the world and I'm just enjoying music. It's not about like how emo or whatever it is it's just like oh it's music it's good music i'm enjoying it i'm having a lot of fun um and since this episode is about happiness i thought it would be pretty cool to do a walk down memory lane on a number of things that makes us happy so Mm -hmm. one 
I guess one way to start this off is when you think of happiness as a child, a teenager, and an adult, what comes to your mind immediately? Let me filter through my trauma. Um, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's happy I'm, at all. Oh my God. I, I was just like, damn, maybe I'm not the person to talk to about happiness. Um, no, I think uh, as a kid, I think the first thing that I think of is I have a particular memory with like my older sister. Um, we were very like imaginative. And so we would create um, kind of our own like worlds, like anything that we did, we would put like a twist on it. Like if we were having to do the dishes, we were having to clean our room, we would make up some story um, like whether like, oh, we're we're orphans and we are washing dishes to like get oh food God. or whatever. <laughs> and it, well, to us, it was fun. Like it, it sounds like, you know, but it made things like fun and enjoyable. and. Um, we spent a lot of time like outside playing outside and we would come up with just really like magical stories. Um, so I think one of my like happiest like memories is, uh, one place where we lived, there was like this field and it was like kind of unkept at the time. So it was like super tall grass and, I had to have been maybe like five or six. So compared to like little us, she, she would have been eight or nine. Um, the, the grass was way taller than we were. And so we would go out and we would find, um, probably where deer were, they would make like nests. So you'd have a space in the grass that was kind of like a little like crop circle looking thing. And, um, we would find them and we would just play there all day. We would go and like pick flowers from like random places. We actually got in trouble because we would pick flowers from like people's gardens. <laughs> but <laughs> at the at that time we didn't like know better. We we thought like you could just pick the flowers that you would find like out and about. Um so we gathered like a bunch of flowers and we made like a just a big flower like nest and stuff and I feel like Courtney, my older sister's name is Courtney. She was trying to make us like flower crowns and stuff like that. So I think that is like a really pleasant memory that I get when I think of like in my childhood, just being able to have the imagination to create such like whimsical little things and just have fun like with my older sister. Yeah, I think I had some parallels with that because I was doing similar things. Um, not stealing flowers from other people's gardens, no. <laughs> but like but like I guess reveling in our imaginations is probably a better way of putting it. Um I uh when in my childhood we used to live in Miri, so that's a city in uh in Borneo Island. Um and we had a lot of toys. Just like you have the, like, those army men. So like you have a big bucket oh, full yeah. of army men. Uh, and we would like uh, make like parachutes for them and throw them off of rooftops or 
make paper airplanes, put the army men in the paper airplane and throw them through fire to see if they survive. It's just like crazy ass action scenes. I mean, my brother would make because we were really, really like when we were young, we were really, really uh, influenced by just a whole bunch of things that we just witnessed growing up. Um, but it's not like witness firsthand or anything. It's more like, oh, you know, we have this uh, books on planes or like books on World War II or like games or mm-hmm. um, uh, or fantasy stuff. And we want to relive, relive that uh, throughout our childhood. So all of a sudden, when we are thinking about what to do for the day, it's a lot of like playing out you know, out in the garden, playing outside and then thinking, okay, what can I do? Like, what kind of adventure can I do today? It, it's like, that's mm-hmm. pretty much the question every single time. It's like, oh, can I like, it's a bit like that SpongeBob episode. It's like, oh, can I like imagine the, like the imagination box where you're just like stuck in a cardboard <laughs> box and just imagining the world? Um, or, or can I make an airplane that will survive fire? Like, can I like coat mm-hmm. it with something so that it survives? Or can I <laughs> get a lighter and aerosol and burn ants? You know, that could be like, mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> which is what we did. So it's a whole bunch of, yeah, but we were kids. We didn't know any better. It it was a whole bunch of chasing after things and then just figuring out what happens. Yeah. It's just that it's simple as that, except that when we were kids, we sort of had so much freedom in, in blending imagination with our almost nonsensical activities throwing toys off of balconies and shit like that so yeah <coughs> yeah there's something really pure about happiness at that point because i have a feeling my happiness evolved uh definitely from like puberty onwards so. mm. it's like as a kid it's like anything can kind of spark like happiness in a way Like, even for me, when I'm, like, hanging out with my nieces and nephews and just watching, like, what little stuff, like, excites them or, like, how they interact with things and stuff like that, like, watching them do that makes me, like, feel happy. Just seeing, I don't know, like, if someone gets so excited about things that you kind of don't necessarily look at the same as you grow up then <clears throat> like having fun with just like anything and interacting with like the world and watching like my nieces and nephews do that it reminds me like oh, we need to do this like more as adults like as well like just enjoy like the random little shit yeah i see that with uh my nephew i haven't seen him in quite a while because we've just been locked on and everything so but the last time that i did we were i I think we had um we had a dinner at the hospice center from for my grandfather when he was still there and uh my cousins brought you know the whole family together. So that includes the nephew. The nephew obviously wasn't really paying attention to the food, etc., because he just wanted to play around with like whatever the hell was in the room, which is like this, you know, huge gathering area. Uh, and witnessing his wonder at everything brings this 
secondary effect of happiness that's just kind of very hard to describe because mm-hmm. when I was like just looking at him, I was like, wow, he's just really happy at the simplest of things. And mm-hmm. sometimes that makes me think, oh, when did I lose that? Or like, when did I stop mm-hmm. thinking about that? Or when did I, maybe not losing it, that's the wrong way to say it, but maybe a better way to phrase it is, when did I become numb from that experience? Because mm-hmm. I could do the exact same thing as my nephew, but then I wouldn't find it as fun as an example. But I was watching him and he likes he likes things that spin like a fan mm-hmm. or something like that. He would be like looking at a fan and he'd just be like, Oh, like it's just like <laughs> this kind of kind of a it's kind of a dumb kid. He's actually pretty smart, but he's kind of a dumb kid. Um, a, a lot of things fascinated him. Maybe it's a better way to say it. Mm. And there was these um, in the corner of that big banquet hall place where we had dinner because there was a lot of us. There was a kids' corner, and in the kids' corner there was um a small stool for people to sit on, and this stool was. It's not wooden. It's like a, like a, kind of sofa kind of thing. But it's quite small. Mm-hmm. But it's um, it's like red and white, like candy, like mm-hmm. those like like those rock candy that you would eat. And when you spin it, like it's circular. When you spin it on its side, it looks like a wheel. And for some reason, I just thought, okay, maybe if he likes the fan, I could distract him with the with this uh, pillow, uh, this mm-hmm. this stool thing. And I did. And he was so fascinated with it that we ended up rolling this thing for uh, one and a half hours. Like I was staying in the same spot and I was rolling this for one and a half hours. And he was not tired at all. He was enjoying it so much. And I was like, wow. Um, For some reason, children have an unlimited, uh, sorry, a well of unlimited happiness. Mm-hmm. And then as you grow older, that that well starts to like close up a little bit. It starts to become limited. Either that or your tastes start to become very like specific. Um, yeah. Because that's how I felt when I was looking at this. I was like, wow. And feeling a bit comparative of a kid. I was like, wow, I wish I could be happy looking at a <laughs> yeah, right. little thing rolling around in a room. <laughs> when did I become so miserable? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> when did I become an old piece of shit? <laughs> <laughs> It's an interesting journey to happiness, um, but I I mostly found it in games. And then even when I was a teenager, I mostly found it in games as well. Um, but friends ended up becoming a factor. So there's like other people taking into consideration for my for my own yeah. definition of happiness. And then, uh, but then I think that teens. speaks to my character. Oh God. How can we talk about happiness during our teenage years without <laughs> those years about of angst? angst. Yeah, <laughs> angst. God damn angst. Oh god. Um where do I start? Shit. I mean, I'll put the angst aside for a second. Like, I think the happiness part of it was just the fact that you know you have this like adolescent, I don't give a fuck energy. Like you're yeah. just gonna do something just because you can. Um, yeah. It's like um, it's like that rebellious energy, but times a hundred, because mm-hmm. you're too stupid to think about like, oh, what if something bad happens? Like you're just too stupid to like think that far ahead. So mm-hmm. you're just gonna do anything you want. Um, yeah, I had a lot of happy moments like that, where 
I didn't really care about the results or the consequences and I just did it anyway. Yeah. Um, that and girls. So I started to learn <laughs> that girls are girls are attractive <laughs> girls are attractive and they make me happy and stuff like that you know <laughs> but yeah what what about you what's uh what constitutes your happiness in teenage years i would say like pretty pretty similar um the ignorance that you have as a as a teenager like you just don't really think about the consequences sometimes and I want to preface this. Um, I don't uh, condone uh, underage drinking or um, acting a fucking fool. But for me as a teen, I did not (laughs) make some of the um, healthiest choices. But through all of that, looking back now, I'm like, oh, my God, should be dead. But... (laughs) I think like the just the fucking ignorance that teenagers have and it just allows you to just be doing these stupid things and like it's so like fun at the time like I can look back now and be like oh my god idiot but I also remember the like almost euphoria I would feel like really just doing whatever I want um, because I feel it's pretty universal. Like as a teenager, you are becoming more or you're more aware that you're your own person and you start to feel various pressures from like family and society and also yourself And so when you're making these like stupid choices, there's something that feels good about it because you feel like I'm making these decisions for me and it feels like a sense of control. And then as you gain some life experience and and wisdom and stuff, you can look back and you can be like, ah, (laughs) oops. But in the time, like it feels nice, like just being stupid. And like you said, like with your friends um dumb conversations and um you know people are starting to get like crushes and stuff like that and it feels like <laughs> not that there isn't like angst to be had with that but like it's also just like fun fresh like stuff there's just all these like feelings and things happening and you're just like along for the ride and so I think the the ignorance that I had, because as a teenager, you also feel like you fucking know it all. If anyone told yeah. me as a teenager that I had that I was like ignorant, I would be like, fuck you. But now looking back, I'm like, OK, yeah, I can see it. Um, and I miss that sometimes. Like, I'm glad I'm more self-aware and I can hold myself responsible for things. Oh, but definitely as a teenager my my lowered inhibitions and care were definitely uh, like refreshing ah yes lowered inhibitions and care um yeah that that point on thinking that you know it all at that age so 
when I was younger, I used to think that that's like a myth mm-hmm. because like when I was like when I moved to Holland when I was 10, I I thought I matured more than my peers because I was playing a lot of online games and just talking to a lot of people older than me. So like mm-hmm. on forums or on like on like MMOs or whatever. So I thought that I was at their level. And mm-hmm. I I thought that okay, uh um the the false sense of knowing it all was a myth because if you actually know it all, then you deserve <laughs> to be acting like that was my was my rationale at the time. So yeah. it, it was this like it's this like super deep implicit angst that I didn't know was already in me. And I thought I didn't have it at all. So I just yeah. really was not like introspecting at all and myself at all. I didn't even know what the word introspect meant uh, at the time. Um, yeah. And what happened was that after I, after like I moved from Holland back to Malaysia and I went to boarding school here, I got my ass handed back to me in terms of my ego because mm. I was acting like a know-it-all. And then that ended up like backfiring um, because that, you know, it just led to some like supposed friendships breaking down or people are just like saying to me, like, you're, you're a dick or like, you're acting like pretty, you know, assholey. And I'm just like, why? But I know these things. It's fine. Right. And I was being pretty yeah. honest about myself and I thought I knew it all. And there were even some seniors in my school that were like, hey, I know this feeling and you're going through it right now, but you shouldn't be acting like this. You should treat people with more respect, et cetera. Mm. Like try not to act this way. Like be, be careful with your semantics, et cetera. And I was ignoring them and, and that ended up becoming a mistake. So that I have a feeling the inhibitions from recognizing the consequences of our actions, if we were to take upon them mm-hmm. is, is something that has to be learned the hard way. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise, learning it from say a book or learning it from say like you know you reading some like obscure article on a website or something already sounds a little bit egotistic. Assuming that yeah. you know it all, and then you're even if you're not applying it, you think that you knowing it is enough to to put you above somebody else's place. And and that's of course yeah. like, just really unhealthy. But we didn't know any better because we were teens. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I think like there there are some things because uh, something that I always find myself reiter- reiterating both to myself and to other people if they're if they're asking me for advice on things is that you know yourself best. Yeah. So like there are definitely things that I thought as a kid and as a teen that I still think today. Um, but the difference is, is I think as I was growing up and I, I didn't really learn this until, um, around, I think I got my first taste of it in like my younger twenties and then probably my mid twenties I learned, um, I more like solidified it. But when you're younger, you think that your way, as you were saying, is like the way, like anybody else's way is kind of like wrong. Um, but then you grow up and and hopefully it's, it's surprising that not actually very many people are this way, but like 
as I said, everyone knows themselves best. Um, and also people need to be given room to learn their lessons. Um, I had quite a few people in my teens that were in um, sort of like, what's the word I want to use? Their, their parents are very like restrictive, um, right. very like strict and, and stuff like that. And I had some of that in my, in my own way, but then as we like go off to college, I saw this a lot, um, with people that I met in college and then people that I knew from like high school, it's like you go into the world and suddenly you're able to do whatever the fuck you want. And if you haven't really gotten to do that as a teen, then you're just kind of like going fucking crazy. Like the second you get out of the house. Um, whereas even though a lot of the stuff I was doing in high school was stupid, at least like when I went off to college and there was so much more access to be doing stupid stuff, um, I had a little bit more self-awareness on how to manage myself, I guess, because I had learned and learned and seen certain things that gave me certain lessons as a teenager that I'm glad that I had when I entered college or in times where I've tried to like push my ideas onto other people. Like you should be doing it this way because I know what's best for you. Um, that typically doesn't get like the results <laughs> that you're hoping for. Um, and I've noticed that anytime if, if I see someone that's going through something and I'm trying to push them to like, Hey, you should do this. Um, they usually kind of fight that, but when you step back and give them room to figure it out and, and realize things themselves, I, I think people are, are more, more swayed that way. Like you figure out your own shit, you, you self-reflect on your own actions and hopefully, hopefully you learn and you grow. It's not always the case, but yeah, it's about like giving them that space so they mm -hmm. can potentially grow, right? But we didn't really, mm -hmm. you don't really learn that in high school. <laughs> it's no, not like, no. Like you're, you're too busy dealing through, dealing with your own shit. And then all of a sudden you metamorphosize into this like, oh, mm. I'm a college student. And I know everything. Um, Almost absolute uh, in some of your perspectives. Um to the point where sometimes it might be even imposing. And I've done that myself. Um, mm. and, it, and it takes, <clears throat> it takes a shock event to take it down a notch and be like, Oh, okay, wait, I shouldn't be like this. Um, yeah. I should be a lot more empathetic with people's situations. I shouldn't be mm -hmm. throwing my own experiences onto other people. And then thinking it's always right. Um, mm -hmm. I not only should I be giving people the space to grow, I should also be giving myself the space to, question myself as well whether yeah. what i'm doing is yeah. truly right uh contextually speaking which is right which is a lot deeper like it requires greater emotional investment um mm -hmm. and also investment in terms of thinking and we're not really trained for that uh especially when you're in a situation where you just have 
what do you call it? Unbridled freedom, like yeah. college or uni, like anyone who is given some money and a semester to deal with shit will just go crazy. If you're not yeah. trained for restraint, um, I did that. I went pretty fucking ape shit when I was in uni. Um, not not like it, not even like Rikyo included because we can totally go into that. But like from from high school because I left high school in a very to be honest, I left high school on a bad note, like almost like like suicidal note. Like I even had mm. like the letters and everything. But then I I quit high school early and then I went to foundation year in uni in Australia and you know so then started my university life and that's a you know a new clean slate so that mm-hmm. I can redefine happiness that way and I can I guess soul search uh, without anything holding me back one thing interesting was that in a completely new city in a completely new place a new culture a completely new school with almost no one I know you can subscribe to a healthier version of happiness. Like you can choose to, um, you can choose to also subscribe to a more hedonistic version of happiness Mm. where it's just like drinking all around parties, whatever, or you can subscribe to a more calmer, mindful version of happiness. And I think that's when like, that's when the scales can tip and you'll find more people on one side than the other. So. Yeah. yeah, for me, I think I learned, and I I didn't know this at the time. I can't remember. I think it took me a couple of years to actually know like what was going on. But when I went off to university, I had thought it's kind of like when when you think like going somewhere else is going to solve all your problems. So for me, I had always thought. Uh, once I get out of my house that I grew up in, I like everything will be fine. I will be yeah. happy and da 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 da. And then when I went off to university, and I was like, why do I still feel so bad? Like it was very confusing. And then as you again, like you grow up and and for me, I started like going to like therapy and stuff like that, and. I don't know. You learn all these things about like yourself and I forgot where I'm trying to go with this, but again, like you, you just learn more about like life. Cause you know, you're still honestly just a kid. Like when you, when you go off to school and you go off to university or you go and get your first job or whatever, like 17, 18, like in, in, perspective like you're still a kid and you know you you think you know it all I thought I knew exactly how things were gonna go when when I left and you feel good and you feel proud with that and then suddenly it hits you like oh fuck and what am I doing and <laughs> and you know you you learn your lessons and and you grow and it more or less is okay that's just life. There's this weird, or no, sorry, not weird. Not the, not the right word. Common rationale of if I'm not here and I'm somewhere else, I will finally be happy or like I will mm-hmm. finally be better. Um, but 
these feelings are more or less internalized. They're carried on with you, and you assume that an external environment will compel you to, uh, for that will compel that that feeling to go away. Um, we don't really learn that until we realize the inevitable result of that not ever happening. Even if we go mm-hmm. from high school to uni, we're like, "Oh, once I'm in uni, I'll be happier," right? And then we're thinking, "Oh, mm-hmm. that's it, right? That, that's that's the solution, right?" Um, right. But we realize, okay, uh, it's not that easy. <laughs> it's not it's not that fucking easy uh, to yeah. to acquire a deeper sense of self because that's just you know that's just step one. Like step one is recognizing the conflict, etc. Like I, I felt that actually because after I was done high school here, I thought like oh, you know if I'm finally out of this school. I will be happy if I'm mm-hmm. elsewhere in Australia. And when I was when I came to Australia, yes, there was the culture shock. Yes, there it is. There is the time to get used to this environment. And then I was finally happy. But I I wouldn't say I was happy. I think I was more relieved, not exactly mm. happy. There was like some parts that I had to like um, resolve myself. But that 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 didn't lead to happiness. I actually remember when I started being happy. When I was in uni, um, mm. I have a big thing about privacy, uh, like mm-hmm. one on privacy and two on freedom. Mm-hmm. Not to be very, not to be very American here, but like, <laughs> um, but like, when I say freedom, I mean a freedom to pursue different forms of expression. So, mm-hmm. like, it was in high school that I learned about like. Dance, even though it was like through K-pop and whatever, but like mm-hmm. I, I realized that oh, dancing is fun, um, and it was in high school that I learned like oh, playing guitar is in a band is really fun, and etc. 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 In uni, because I had a clean slate, I had the freedom to pursue this on a more intensive level. I didn't have to, but I desired that, and no one's going to stop me from that. So the freedom of being able to do this without being restricted, all of a sudden, I felt a lot happier because chasing after these things was proof of my freedom, and mm. therefore I'm happy. It's like a side effect. I, mm. I realized that I shouldn't chase after happiness. I should chase after expression and freedom because that will mm. make, give me happiness. Um, so when I when I came to Australia, I, you know, tried all sorts of things. I went to like, you know, um, boxing classes. I was looking at like surfing lessons. I was looking at, uh, I was doing capoeira for like a year plus, And I had absolutely no background in any of them. But then I was like, hey, I want to do it. I will do it. Um, and the freedom came in the package of being able to act on my impulses and that mm-hmm. felt really really amazing to me so i felt like yeah it, i started living properly from uni onwards gotta say yeah and i think that's like a, a interesting like thing to like notice is that i have found as an adult happy i i don't even like when people like ask me that i don't know how to like describe or identify with that feeling anymore um like i feel 
when you're younger, it's not really something that is necessarily like constantly on your mind. It's just something like you're just having experiences. And then as you become an adult, you start questioning a lot more like, oh, am I happy? Like, am I satisfied? And happiness, it sort of becomes less on like what you experience and more on like what you create for yourself. Yeah. And at least for me, um, my, like, I wouldn't use happy anymore as an adult. I tend to use like the, the word like gratitude, um, because that's kind of like what I feel. <clears throat> the things that make me have like warm, fuzzy feelings as an adult, it's like some of the things that I do for myself, which as you said, are like creating things, how I express doing art or making like silly videos or like making this podcast or things like that. When I can actively like create and put my energy into something that just results in some form of media. I'm like, oh, like, look at what I did. Like, even if it's stupid, it's like I made something. Um, or like seeing my friends like accomplishments. Um, when I was younger and we have more of our own judgment and I would see like people like getting married or having kids, I could only think like, oh my God, I hate that you. <laughs> um, <laughs> whereas now as I've like, you know, matured into not everybody thinks like I do. I can like, even if it's things that I can't understand, I can really like appreciate and be grateful that people in my life are doing these things that make them feel good. And that makes me feel good. Like seeing other people feel good makes me feel good. Um, I've stopped thinking of happiness as something that is like, how do I describe it? I used to think in my younger twenties and I was, you know, dealing with all these emotions of myself. Um, I used to think that happiness was something that you achieve and that stays stable. Like you reach happiness and then like you have a happy life. Um, whereas now I see it as I have to be very aware and in the moment and just see things that I'm really grateful for and in its own way, that is like what happiness is, I guess, for me, like as an adult. When happiness as a concept deepens, you stop using mm -hmm. that word and it turns into something as powerful as gratitude. And I guess in this context, I'm not sure for you, you might, you might be wrong, but like for me, gratitude is a synonym for meaning, like mm. in a positive way, like in a very empowering way. Mm -hmm. For some reason, meaning in specific activities, meaning in expression, meaning in creating something for yourself, meaning in pursuing a mission that you're really like passionate about. That's an example. Mm -hmm. you, you're not thinking about this when you're a child or you're not thinking about this when you're a teenager, not really thinking about this when you're when you're given all the freedom in the world when you're in uni. But you start thinking about that, like the, the seeds are planted during then. 
And mm-hmm. once you're an adult and you recognize, you know, these different roles in society and how people are wanting, you know, families or kids, etc. When it comes to you, you look in the mirror and you think, what makes me happy or what makes me grateful? And you figure out that specific activities give you that meaning. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've actually ever used the word happy in everyday conversation. Now that I'm thinking about mm-hmm. it, with like people that I talk to, I've never said, oh, you know, I've been feeling very happy lately. I've never really said that. Mm. I've always stuck to being glad, being grateful, but it's more like pointed towards someone. Yeah. It's always it's always the 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 happiness is assumed and then the intention of the sentence is to say this happiness is a side effect of my gratitude that's shared with somebody yeah um, and once that of course i didn't just arrive that all of a sudden i wasn't just like oh what yeah. gratitude I, but yeah. it was like it was earned like that definition mm-hmm. is earned and being able to commit to that felt like I'm not lying to myself anymore. So mm-hmm. every single time that I'm willing to say to someone, hey, I'm grateful that you know we're still friends or hey, I'm grateful mm-hmm. that we're still keeping in touch after so long or or hey, I'm grateful that you're my, uh, I don't know, like aunt's cousin's brother's dog or whatever. <laughs> um, being able to even say that brings me a level of, happiness that I don't even want to use the word happiness because yeah. I feel like it's too shallow of a word to describe how much it means to me. Um, mm-hmm. Some people might find that same feeling when they have their firstborn. Yeah. I, I understand. I may not, I may not think the same, but I understand mm-hmm. the feeling. Therefore we can probably find a commonality in terms of, Oh, okay. You find that much depth in maybe your, your son or, or daughter. Sure. I find this much mm-hmm. depth when I'm thinking about my, the fictional stories I write or like the characters mm-hmm. I invent. That's fine. Like we will, mm-hmm. we will always find gratitude in our children. However, that children may be <laughs> whatever yeah. shape. They yeah, yeah. 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 It's hard to think about happiness. Like I, I can mm. always bring up like a million different memories for it. Mm-hmm. For some reason, if you try to like ask me to pinpoint like the happiest moment of my life or something like that, I would actually have trouble ask, answering that question. I think. Yeah, me too. Like when when people say that, Again, like for me, it ends up falling back towards like gratitude because I remember, um, and for you, it might be similar. Like I'll think of like Japan a lot, like the, the year I spent in Japan, I'm like, that's when I feel like, like a, a peak experience. Um, but even then it, it isn't even necessarily that I was happy. (laughs) Like I was going through some shit like when I was over there. So when I actually think about it, I'm like, I wouldn't say I was like happy, but again, there's the gratitude that I would feel at the time, just being able to be there and have my experiences. And then also in retrospect, how much that experience changed me as a person, um, with like the people that I met and the things that I went through and, um, 
like I grew up a lot, I guess. And so there probably has been like the the biggest amount of gratitude that I feel for that specific moment because it is an experience that has really kind of shaped like who I am like now. But I don't know, happy. It was kind of like you were saying, like it doesn't, that doesn't really, like when people ask or when I hear that word, it doesn't really like resonate like much emotion from me when I think about it in in terms of like my adult life. Hmm. Not that like, to clarify, just in case you know what's listening, not that I'm saying I'm just not happy as an adult. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. But I feel it just like has maybe, different meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just changed, right? It's just evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not as prioritized. Um mm-hmm gratitude higher than happiness definitely for me at least i'm not sure mm-hmm. yeah um, the the euphoria from a really beautiful moment when i'm in it doesn't mean i'm smiling or laughing or whatever but i will still mm-hmm. cherish it it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that happiness is up there at like rank number one it's just that i have i i feel like i now have such a healthy relationship with the concept of happiness that i don't have to prioritize it all the time I can mm-hmm. find I can find greater nourishment for my soul in something else. It doesn't have to mm-hmm. be happiness. And yeah, you know, uh to to what you said. I had a similar experience um uh in in Japan where yes, it was a great time, but not all of it was all fun and games or like, you know, flowers blooming or whatever. There's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that happened that were definitely Sakura petals falling. Yeah, not like, yeah, not like spring youth level, like <laughs> yeah. kawaii koi or whatever shit. Um, mm-hmm. Or kissing at fireworks festivals or some shit. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. not all of it was full of laughter and happiness. There were some parts where I just almost felt like so down during that time when mm-hmm. I was in that moment Mm -hmm. and looking back then I wouldn't ever change a thing because Mm -hmm. because reflecting on such experiences brought me greater direction and I feel more happy for how I grew as a person Um, yeah as opposed to the actual impact or the memory itself like what constitutes that memory so Mm -hmm. that really helped and it's nice to know that I feel that way instead of like being sad about the fact that I was sad during that time or whatever it is. Right. Right. <laughs> Cause that just means I just had a hell unhealthy relationship with my memories. And I really don't want that in the end. I yeah. Was say something else as well. And I completely forgot what it was. I'm not sure if it's because the beer is in my head, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Yes. Do you have a favorite positive memory during your time in Japan? Like a, like one memory in particular that you thought, wow, today's great. Like a very blissful uh, memory. I have a few. Hmm. I don't know if I want to talk about that on the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lol. Hang on. Let me, let me see if there's a way I can be vague. Um, I mean, you don't have to talk about it if you feel uncomfortable about it. <laughs> 
I've talked about on the podcast before about like the the difference between like night and day in Japan and how night has a, a different aura about it. So there were times when in Japan, I feel like it was easier to sort of feel like you're living a double life because there was the the times that I had like with everyone like from from school we'd go out and we'd spend a lot of time together and because we all like were in the same dorm and stuff is kind of like you have your family and and the the life that I would have with them but then there were also moments where I would go out and um spend time with people that weren't of in relation to that part of my life and those memories and moments and maybe because they are uh, such a rare treat for me, um, I find like a lot of like, I don't know, I'll probably romanticizing them like in a, in a sort of way. With just these little like moments that were like to myself. And then times where sometimes I was feeling like really down and, you know, you just kind of want to like hole up in your room and stuff where I would push myself to like go out and maybe just like take pictures of stuff or film things and just walk around. And I could look around and be really like appreciative and feel good, like for, for where I was. And I think like, whether you go abroad or you go to a new city or anything like that, um, when you kind of like take a moment and you look around and you're like, I'll look at what I'm doing, like by myself, um, look at these things that I'm accomplishing for myself by myself. Um, and I found like a lot of strength in those moments. Um, especially if I'd been down for like a little while and you just go out and you like reflect and, and Japan, something that I really cherished is that as you're walking around, it's like, you can always find really beautiful little things. Um, whether it's like someone set up a tiny little shrine, like in an alleyway, or you stumble across like a park in the city or, um, there's just all sorts of like little things that you find. And to me, I'm very visual. So when I see something that really aesthetically just moves me, I feel gratitude and like happiness just for that. Like just to be able to see that I can get really good feelings from. And I think Japan had a, had a lot of that for me. Yeah. Japan is primed to have those situations pop up quite uh, often very aesthetically provoking uh, mm. location, regardless of it's day or night, it just diff- different feelings, right? <laughs> different time, different mm. feelings. Um, I, I noticed that as well. For me, a blissful moment is actually when you know we're all people in a Sakadai dorm are together hanging out. Yeah, drinks maybe involved, mm. sure, but like just when we're hanging out. Um, I like when we're all by the, you know, that location near the bridge. There's a walk away from the dorm and we're just like, yeah, the river. The river. Yeah. Yeah. And we're just like 
drinking or having music out or just like mm. saying dumb shit or just hanging about um or or just lollygagging i guess is the right word for it um yeah just nonsensical fun i have and those are always nice yeah like being able cuz you know like gl- like going out to the like club or going into the city and just being crazy was fun but definitely the more intimate moments i guess or like at the river or like if we would go to like the hookah lounge and what was that game called lux there was a game that max had that we would we went out to like a hookah lounge and played a couple of times oh and um yeah, flux yeah flux it flux be flux, flux. Yeah. um and those were nice because it's like for me i would actually get to like sit down and like talk with people um kind of one-on-one and i think we talked about this on a on an episode before but like just hear like their experience and catch up on like what's going on in their head and how they're feeling and you get that like sense of unity also where it's like i'm not the only one that is experiencing this at this time it's like i have all these people beside me that are experiencing the same thing which i think creates a sort of special type of bond yeah it's that us against the world feeling (laughs) yeah it it happens i i notice like from both semesters it happens and it catches on quite fast like you Mm -hmm. realize how different you are from like people at uni or whatever or like you know Mm -hmm. japanese students or something like that or with the culture in general and you have no one else but each other so mm-hmm. when everybody is so welcoming to each other because there's no one else to um be with or gather around with etc you like people cherish each other each other a lot more so you have yeah. these moments where we're just you know chilling at the river and just drinking or doing whatever and that happens to be so fun like so great and so memorable other than the usual like dumb clubbing shit that we always do, sure. But mm-hmm. that normally that's normally like that's normally a vice that we're confronting every single week. But these moments <laughs> where we just want to be with each other mm-hmm. and just like be in each other's presence. Slow it down. Yeah, slow it down. I'm just enjoying the summer nights or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it's a whole different vibe. And if I were to try to be as close to the textbook definition of happiness, the memory of those times by the river would be the the closest to me. Mm. To yeah, definitely. There's lots of times that I would even go out there, like I said, on, on days where I just needed to like just go look at shit. Um, I would go out there a lot and like journal or even just like watch the water. During like spring semester, it was like, you know, exceptionally gorgeous because you have all the trees over there are are, like the cherry blossoms and stuff. And it is a quite like special place. I always think that um, if I go back to Japan, like I want to go, go visit that place again. Oh, cherry blossoms. Oh, my God. That's also another thing that makes me really happy. Mm. (laughs) 
going to Yoyogi Park when it's like all pink and everything. Oh my god, that's amazing. So beautiful, yeah. Sometimes because I made like a a YouTube video at the time, I think, on one of my sad little days where I just went and filmed out and about and like cherry blossoms and stuff. Even now when I'm sad, like I'll watch it sometimes. And um I'll just be like, oh, yeah. Like I've I've gotten to experience things. Like I've done things and you know, I can always go back and precious memories <laughs> <laughs> yeah those sort of times <laughs> and now back to present time when we have a disease that will kill us um, finding happiness now is I have to say quite a challenge for me personally because mm. we're mostly stuck at home etc you want to make the most of your time moving about because we're not designed to be sitting on chairs all day or screens, looking at screens rather. Mm. And for me, when I'm thinking about this, maybe earlier this year, I was thinking about when was the last time I was happy? Mm. It was really scary. Like to ask yourself that question, like not even pandemic related or anything. It's just, when was the last time I was really like happy and smiling and being like, whoa, at a lot of things. And I was trying to pinpoint that and it was years ago. It was really scary. Mm -hmm. So it made me like wonder what was I doing up until then? And to me now, happiness is not something to search after, like, sorry, seek actively, mm -hmm. but rather is found in small trickles in the actions that you do, which is- yeah. A lot, a lot in parallel with what we're doing now, you know, with like creating or expression or um, just venting out things. We find just a glimpse of happiness in small amounts and then they all mm -hmm. accumulate. So as long as we do these things that help us, like primarily, the secondary side effect positively would be like some level of like smiles here and there. And mm -hmm. that's enough for me to get by. It's just a matter of trying to make a habit out of that. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I think the the past couple of years with like the pandemic and everything is really what sort of solidified gratitude for me. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was going through lots of things, um, kind of when the pandemic started and I had thought the same thing. I was like, when was I even like happy last? What have I been doing these like past couple of years and you know, like the things that have happened to me and it's quite in a very dark place for a long time. Yeah. And um, I think it was, I think when my, my, my grandpa passed away and I, I witnessed that moment and things that I just started thinking and I, and I don't even know how to explain it because it's not, it wasn't like an appreciation for life or anything like that, but there was something that changed in me in that moment and I started thinking like oh especially for me with people I let people affect my feelings a lot and I started thinking like why do I focus on like the very few people that make me feel bad when I have so many people in my life that make me feel good and so 
you know, a lot of times gratitude is like a practice. And so anytime I was feeling really, really down, I would try to force myself to sit down and write down things that made me feel good. Like even if it was something super small, like having a coffee in the morning or today, the way the sun like shone on this one particular blade of grass, like I would start doing this. Um, and now once a month, I try to remember to like do that. Um, and you know, with the, the pandemic, I feel, um, in our societies, I feel like we are so busy and we are constantly keeping ourselves busy and it really made people sit down and have to be with themselves. (laughs) And we're not, we're not very good at just being with ourselves and being with our, our own thoughts. In some ways, I think it was good. I think um, despite all the very bad things that have been happening in the world, um, having to sit down and be with myself instead of finding all different ways to distract and numb my mind. Um, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm grateful for that. I don't think I would have been able to work on healing certain things had I not had to be locked amongst these four walls. Um, so again, gratitude and happiness, because even the things that make me sad or angry, I can find gratitude and very positive feelings and, and having had experienced those things um, because I think they make me hopefully become a better person. Yeah. That's um, the main point of gratitude, right? Like, Right, right. Finding like finding the good in everything, no matter how micro, how macro, and mm. that feeds into your overall perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the time, when we think about perceptions, it's just for this one moment when you're doing gratitude practice. For this one moment, all of your brain is focusing on this thing that makes you happy, mm-hmm. and even just a speck of that moment, like even just a shift in that attention. It's enough to affect your whole day. Like if you start mm-hmm. doing something, being grateful for something first thing in the morning, and then you're like, wow, that made me really, really good. And then I have the rest of the day on a positive outlook. It's mm-hmm. almost the same as like the opposite would be someone cuts you off in traffic early in the morning, and then you, you're set in a bad mood for the whole day, right? It's just yeah. Like, um, it's not like nothing to be grateful about that because the guys just bring a prick. But still, when you think about the opposite and you think about what compels you, what provokes you, what mm. inspires you, or what ignites some level of happiness within you. You think, wow, I have this energy now. Let me carry it for the whole day. And eventually, that builds the muscle that helps you with growing as a person. And I think that's like a very mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful process. So mm-hmm. being able to see happiness bloom from a young age where anything can just put you into a pure wonder uh, yeah. to teenage years which are essentially you're in this rebellious phase where there's like a conflict in terms of what can actually satiate your satiate your your um your you're just manifesting e-boy yeah. yokai every day yeah <laughs> 
Try, trying to put the trying to put the black makeup on, right? The 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 makeup on your eye and like, <laughs> trying to be an e boy. Um, oh man, I'm so glad I didn't try to be an e boy when I was when I was younger. Anyway, um, and and when you're in uni, you suddenly have greater responsibility, but then you suddenly have a greater need for restraint for for uh, a foray into the adult world just like a tutorial level for like, mm-hmm. oh shit, I need to be taking care of myself, etc. I can't just be like cooking instant noodles all the time and then like, you know, <laughs> changing bed sheets every six months or some shit like that. It can't be like that. Um, and then once you've reached adult, which I guess maybe another thing we can talk about, I'm not sure, a completely different episode, maybe just a different topic. When do you actually become an adult? Uh, right for and in this context it would be like oh i feel like i became i finally became an adult when i have a healthy relationship with myself in terms of meaning in terms of um in, in terms of happiness in terms of contentment so yeah like i don't like again humans we have this need to categorize things so we have our childhood, our teenage years, uh, young, adolescence, adolescence, stuff like that, um, adult. I don't view things like that so much anymore. Um, I, I kind of just see it as it's not necessarily like we're entering these new boxes. We just are accumulating wisdom um because when you talk to anyone who's an adult um for the most part people never in my experience like never have i met someone that is like yeah i feel like an adult like you have stereotypical adult things like i bought a house i guess i'm an adult now or i got a nine to five i guess i'm an adult now um but that all just comes down to like words and how we describe our experiences. But in, in feeling, I don't think that necessarily like exists. I think all we can do or as something I think people should do is grow. We should take in our experiences. We should learn from them and we should hopefully be kind to other people. Um, and and want to like nurture that but i don't think there is any anything that you achieve that makes you an adult really and cuz like for everyone it, it could be different to someone it's like having their first child might might put them into adulthood for some people it's getting that first job for other people, it might be a more mental sort of thing. Adult level two. Adult level <laughs> yeah. three. Yeah, yeah. Adult Do you evolution. have a mortgage? Yeah. <laughs> Did you pay off your student loans? Wow, you're an adult now. <laughs> and it's interesting because I feel like a lot of um, supposedly being an adult is honestly just connecting with who you were and how you thought as a child and having the confidence to 
like be yourself mm. without the the pressure to be anything else um i think when i see people like regardless of the age that are so unapologetic with who they are assuming that they're not like a fucking asshole that's just going around hurting people that's different but someone who just totally embraces like who they are what they love um that's when i look at people with like the utmost respect and like oh they've got it figured out like good for them yeah are you at that stage now or do you think that that I think right I now weaver. Oh, okay i think i still care too much what people think um i don't know if that'll always be like a part of me i have a lot more moments now where i think i do a little bit better at when i'm having those kind of like negative thoughts i think i can calm myself down a little bit more but i i still think i i definitely put too much pressure on myself um in in terms of what other people think of me or what i should be accomplishing based on maybe other people's expectations of me um in my everyday i think i feel more confident going at my own pace but when i think in general or i'm thinking about the future um i do still get really stressed because i think of success in terms of how that looks to everyone else so i think i'm wavering somewhere in the middle yeah when we start thinking about happiness defined by other people <laughs> yeah that's a very big factor in like mm-hmm. <laughs> wavering one's opinion on mm-hmm. you know your own happiness that's a big one cuz i have those days mm-hmm. as well like mm-hmm. my mine is more like an oscillation like there are positive mm. days, there are negative days, but then more yeah. or less right now I'm like, okay, there's nothing actually bad happening. It's just my thoughts. Yeah, me. yeah. So, you know, if there's a good day where the, my thoughts aren't haunting me, it's actually a good day. But then if there's a bad day, I'm like, oh no, oh no, help me, please. It's like that, you know. Um, And to me, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to be above average. Like mm. if an average is, you know, a balance between positive and negative days. I'm trying to like shift my environment so that it can be a little bit more positively average. Yeah. So yeah. a little bit more good days than bad days. I will still recognize that there are bad days, but mm-hmm. at the very least to meet myself with compassion at that point. And when I do have a positive day to amplify the shit out of that so that I can attract more of that kind of energy in my life because there is this and then I, I recently i've just been very grateful to opportunity in general and for some reason yeah. when you when you really lean on those positive days sometimes it really attracts that kind of thing um yeah into your life so especially when you express it online or something like that so right yeah, right it's funny when we were thinking about this topic on happiness i thought that we were just going to stick to like just dumb shit that we're gonna like share just because it's like it just makes us smile or it's just fun mm. or some shit uh, but then again i'm not surprised that we were going to go into a very um introspective version of 
the concept itself. Right. Not always. <laughs> it was always going to be. We, we, should, we should probably expect it by now. Yeah. And I think for everybody listening, <laughs> you're, you're bound to be hearing something like this uh, every episode. Mm. So. Mm. <sighs> but sometimes even I surprise myself. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, damn, deep. Hashtag deep. <laughs> deep. Huh? <laughs> deep, deep happiness. <laughs> um. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we are coming up on time. Unless you're gonna say, if there's anything else you wanna bring up, comes to mind. No, no, I'm just like deep is replaying in my mind over and over. You're just hashtag deep. Okay. Yeah. Um, balls deep. <laughs> <laughs> fucking <laughs> deep into happy. Um, fuck! I was trying to do an outro and I just lost my words. Oh right, yeah. Uh, we are coming up on time, so if you have been listening uh, up until now and you have any, you know what? Share the positivity. Like, do you have like a happy hmm. memory? Um, the a memory or a big part or a big time period in your life where you were just so positive and energetic and enthusiastic and wild and positive energy. Share that with us, you know, by commenting mm. below in the YouTube version or tweeting at us or emailing us as well. We, if you want to be more, you know, if it's something that you prefer to be more private, that's okay. Sure. Mm. I'm always really eager to hear like awesome shit you've done or like funny things mm. that you've gone through. And, you know, we can always laugh and smile about it. So, uh, yeah, have no fear. We'll be fine if you share that. Mm. Uh, no and, judgment zone. Of course. Um, Compact Chronicles is definitely a show where we don't judge because look at us. We've been like saying a lot of <laughs> dumb shit and we're finally right. sharing out there. So remember, this is a safe space for you to be just as yabai as us. Um, so share well, all there, 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 there are some limits, um, but I feel like okay. those are obvious. <laughs> yeah, we're like 98% yabai. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I gotta say, like, we're, we're quite open in general mm, mm. of course there are some things that we shouldn't say but that's like common sense more so mm. um but we're like 98 so i gotta say that um yeah with that being said thank you for listening to this episode of as per usual give us a rating on your favorite podcast listening app whether it's apple Podcasts uh, or on Podchaser. you can always add a comment to the star rating so we can you know read it out loud in the next episode or something like that and mm. also uh, to subscribe to us in your favorite listening app and or to the channel on YouTube. And in case you have another topic in mind that you'd want us to talk about, Japan specifics, although we didn't really talk about too much about Japan this time, I think it's okay. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More of Japan from our, our perspective. Oh my God, I'm just <laughs> biting my tongue. It's late, okay? I'm drinking beer at like 2 a.m. So like... Hey our perspective on Japan from a happiness point of view. Uh, but with that being said, thank you so much for listening slash watching for this episode. This is your host, Norman and Holly. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.